So before we jump into God's Word, let's uh, talk to God Himself here. Father in heaven, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd open our eyes, that you'd open our hearts to what you want to do in us, Father. Lord, I don't want this just to be another message or something where um, we come and we listen and we go home the same. So, Father, I just pray that your word would penetrate deeply into our hearts like it will always do if we let it, that it would reveal to us the things that you want to change. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, we have Bibles if anybody needs it, and uh, I can tell you right off the bat you are going to need it. You guys all brought your Bibles or you all got your phones? Okay, that's good. You know, life would be easy if it weren't for two things, circumstances and people. Other than that, life would be a piece of cake. But, you know, every day we run into these crazy things that we don't know how to handle. We have decisions that we face. We have disappointments that just shock us. Uh, you know, you, so many of you have experienced or you've, you've had friends who've experienced or loved ones going into a doctor's office expecting a normal uh, checkup and all of a sudden there's something there that you weren't expecting to be there. And your life moves suddenly in a whole different direction. How do we respond to that? How do we deal with that? Well, there are three verses. Our whole study tonight is going to be on three verses. It's 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And the concept we're going to talk about is this whole idea of walking in the light. And I, I want you to realize something, that our lives are usually not big, gigantic turns Usually our lives are a lot of small decisions that add up into a big directional shift. I don't know if you have heard of Oscar Wilde. He was a playwright from Great Britain. He was incredibly talented, but he was also incredibly sinful. And he said something interesting at the end of his life. He said, I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character. I want you to think about that. Every little action of the common day either makes, it either builds character in our life or it tears down character of our life. And here's what he says as a result of this. And that therefore what one has done in the secret chamber has one day to cry aloud in the housetops. Almost exactly what Jesus said. The things that we do in secret are going to be cried out in the housetops. And so what I want you to understand a little bit is this whole idea of walking in the light has to, oh, there we are, has to do with how we respond to circumstances. I was talking to a young man today, and and we were talking about happiness and lack of happiness. And I made a statement that I don't think he believed. I said, circumstances are almost irrelevant to happiness. I've met people who have had terrible circumstances throughout their life, and they are some of the happiest people I've known. I've talked to people who have been relatively spoiled in life. Things have gone well for them. They've had plenty of money. They've had parents who have made life easy for them. They've had all sorts of nice circumstances, and they are absolutely miserable. So it's not the circumstances you have. It's how Do you respond to circumstances? How tomorrow are you going to engage in life? What what is going to be the driving force and wisdom as you engage in life and relationships? How are you going to make decisions? Walking in the light is very simply doing all of these things under the guidance of God's word in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's just a a real simple working definition of of walking in the light. So let's go on. I want to talk a little bit about what light means in Scripture, because all through Scripture, light and darkness are used to represent a very consistent idea. For example, first of all, light represents an intimate, 
authentic relationship with God. Let me just read Ephesians 5, 8 for you. And if you're really fast at turning, you can do this. Otherwise, just write the references down because I think they'll really help you to go back and check these. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For you were formerly darkness. Now, notice he doesn't say you were in darkness. He says you were darkness. The nature of your life was that you were separated from God, and God calls that darkness. But now he says, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. So basically, Paul says, you used to be darkness. You had no intimate relationship with God. You had no sense of connection with God. But now you're light. What does that mean, that now you're light? It means that you have an intimate connection with God as your father. And so Ephesians 5.80, he simply says, hey, act like it. He goes on, John 3.19 says something really interesting. This is the judgment that light has come into the world. And men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. So Jesus, the light, came into the, the world, and it's just like cockroaches when you turn on a light. They all scurry. They don't like being in the light. They want to get into the darkness. And that's the way people who live their lives in evil are. When they're confronted with the holiness, with the pure light of Jesus Christ, they hated it. Even though Jesus loved people like they had never been loved before, most people hated him. They didn't just say, oh, I can take him or leave him. Nobody said that about Jesus. They were either drawn to him or they despised him. John goes on to say, For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So light represents this relationship with God. Darkness represents the lack of relationship with God. Second thing, Light represents the pure, righteous, and loving actions that flow from a person who knows God. So Paul's, or John says, if you're hating your brother or sister in Christ, he says you're in darkness. You don't have the actions of a person who knows God flowing from your life. Darkness represents the selfish, impure, angry, violent and destructive actions that flow from a person who doesn't know God. So just listen, and again, please write this one down to look up later. It just blows my mind. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Sound familiar? Well, that's the United States of America right now, uh, especially California. You know, if, if California secedes from the Union... I really do think it's going to fall into the sea. I honestly, I'm, I'm moving somewhere if they do, but uh, I don't think they'll actually follow through with that. But, you know, it's just, he goes on to say, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. Sound familiar? And clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine. And I, I think of our college campuses. Do you realize this, this just is incredible to me? In college, if you're in a fraternity, the chances are 80% that once a month you engage in binge drinking. Once a month, you're going to drink so much that you pass out or throw up or do whatever comes first. So, again, Isaiah is just prophesying what's happening in our country. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine. You know, those are the guys that everybody looks up to. Man, he can really, he can drink everybody under the table and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. So this is, this is light and darkness in the Scripture. Let's go to the next thing that light represents. This is one of my favorite. Light represents the wisdom, clarity, and integrity that comes from following God and His Word. Darkness represents the ignorance and the confusion in life. John, John 12, 35, Jesus says, well, let's take Proverbs 4, 19 first. 
The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. You guys, when I counsel people who don't know Christ, I see this all the time. Their marriages are falling apart. They have no idea what to do. You know, they keep saying, why won't my wife make my ha- me happy? Why won't my husband make me happy? Why won't she just do what I want her to do? And so all of the time I see in non-believing, and unfortunately a lot of believing marriages, people's focus is that the other person is responsible for making me happy. And that's what's wrong with our marriage. John twelve thirty five. Jesus says, for a little while longer, you, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. Now, this is so powerful. For he who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. Boy, do you guys, you guys see how powerful this concept of light and darkness is? And today we're going to look at what it looks like to walk in the light. So finally, we come to 1 John 1, 5. I just wanted to give you that background by way of introduction. First, we're going to look at the truth about God, and then we're going to look at the truth about us. 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. I wish I had time to take you through 1 through 4, because you would capture the excitement of, of 1 John. John is writing, it's probably mid-90s A.D., so it's 60 years after Christ died. All of the other apostles are dead. And John is looking back over his life, and he's, he's remembering. Some of you are older. You remember what it's like to look back and remember when you were younger? You've got really a lot of great memories and John's looking back, and, he, and in 1 through 4, he says, our hands actually handled the word of life. We actually touched him. We saw him. We heard him. We talked to him. And this is the message he gave us, verse 5, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. John is the source of our three God is statements in Scripture. There are three places where it says God is something. It's not that God is like something or God has something. God is. John says in 426, or actually Jesus said it and John recorded it, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Because God is spirit, we have a spirit because of God's creating us in his image. And so... The true worship of God is when our spirit connects with his spirit and we're engaging him in worship as his created beings who are created in his image. One of the big implications of of God being spirit is his big word omnipresence. You guys have heard that, right? Omnipresence simply means God is not limited by a body. He is everywhere at one time. Now, we're going to talk about this psalm in a minute, but one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 139, where David says, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the highest mountain, there you are. If I go to the deepest hell, you're already there. No matter where I go, you're there. The second God is statement is God is love. Some of you might question this one, because what this says is that everything God does flows from a heart of love. And you say, wait a minute. In the future, the Bible says God is going to be condemning people to eternal hell. He's going to condemn them to separation from him forever. How can that be love? I want to tell you something. God did something so that nobody would have to face that. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that even though we had already turned against us, and by the way, I hope you're never uh, yelling at God asking for justice. Okay, I, I do not want justice from God. I want mercy and grace from God. That's what I want. Because God would be just in sending every human being to hell. But he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, would not face that everlasting hell, but have everlasting life. 
Who is going to be in hell? This is going to sound crazy, but the people who want to be there. The people who do not want to bow their knee to God. And if you ever want a fascinating read, read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Because basically, it's the idea that if people who are in hell went to heaven, they would want to go back to hell. They, they despise God so much that they do not want to be anywhere that he is. And finally, John says God is love, light. Why is this important? There's a book uh, that was written years ago by a man by the name of A.W. Tozer. It's called Knowledge of the Holy. How many of you have heard of that book? Any of you heard of that? If you haven't read it, it's like 120 pages. But it is so powerful. And here's what he says. What comes into your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. Your concept of God will determine the kind of person you become. So when we say that God is light, what do we mean by that? Well, let's go on. First, and let me just give you an overview. Physically, light represents glory. If you look at the sun, you all know this, I think. You're not actually seeing the sun. You're actually seeing the glory of the sun. You're seeing the emanation of light from the sun. Physically, light represents glory. Intellectually, light represents truth. Morally, light represents holiness. So when we say God know, God is light, the first thing we're saying is that God knows and sees everything. Let me just read a couple of scriptures from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. You guys realize how amazing that is? No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, God is right there with you, and he knows what's going on. He goes on to say, even before I speak, you know what I'm going to say. Jumping down to verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the night, darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. So when we say that God is light, we say that there is nothing hidden from God. He knows and he sees everything. That's good and it's bad, isn't it? First Corinthians 4, Paul is talking to the Corinthians who were kind of hacking him. They were sort of judging him. And they were actually saying, hey, he's not a very good teacher. He's not as good as Apollos. You know, I don't even know if he's an apostle. You know, they were just saying terrible things about Paul. And Paul in verse 3 says, he says, you know, it's a small thing that you judge me. He goes on to say, in fact, I don't even judge myself. And here's why he says this in verse 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. But wait until the Lord comes, and there are two things the Lord's going to do. He's going to bring to light the things hidden in darkness, and he's going to disclose the motives of each man's heart. So God is going to demonstrate his knowledge of everything we've done, and he's going to bring it to the light. So there's nothing hidden from God. This is part of what it means. The second thing that light means is that he's free from any imperfection and weakness. The third thing it means is that his glory is overwhelming. First Timothy, Paul says that God dwells in unapproachable light. Uh, I don't know if you remember the story of Moses. It's a great story of Exodus 33 where Moses finally says, God, show me your glory. And I don't know if you remember what God said, but it's incredible. He says, I will pass by and I'll hold my hand over your face. And after I pass by, you can see sort of the tail end of my glory because no one can see me and live. So John 1.18 says, no one has seen God at any time. That's why Jesus had to come in the form of a human because he revealed God. 
in a way that we could see him and live. And the final thing is that he is the source of wisdom and guidance. And let me just read the Daniel passage to you. Daniel says, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. You know, it's interesting. We saw something extraordinary last week, didn't we? And I don't know how you feel about that. But all of the wise people of the world completely, they missed it, didn't they? I don't know if you watched uh, uh, the, rev- the returns coming in. I was determined not to watch it. And then I heard on the radio that something strange was happening. Uh, I turned it on, and so now I was up till 2.30 watching the election. But, but seeing the, the smugness on their face early in the night, oh, yeah, she's going to win, no problem, ah, la, 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 you know. And then about, I don't know when it was, 6.30 or 7, ooh, this is weird. And then about 7.30, oh, my gosh. And that's when they started showing, you know, the, the people in Hillary's victory party. And they're weeping, you know, it's just, it was stunning. And you know what? That was no surprise to God. God was not waiting for the polls to close to figure out who was going to win. God, God knew and he's the one who puts people in place. So, you know, and by the way, I said this eight years ago when President Obama was elected. God was the one who put him in place. This was not an accident. This was not a tragedy of history. This was God's will, his sovereign plan being carried out. And now his sovereign plan is being carried out again. I don't know what future God has for the U.S. It's crazy. But what I do know is the future of the U.S. is in the hands of God. And nothing, even if the future is for us to fall apart, it is going to be according to God's plan. So Daniel says he gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he, catch this, it is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in darkness. He dwells. And and it says, and light dwells with him. So all of this to say, God is a God of purity that is so amazing, we can't even understand. We can't even come close to grasping. He knows everything. He's the source of all wisdom and knowledge. He is the one who brings things together according to his perfect plan. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So that's the truth about God that John says. Now we're going to look at the truth about us. In verse 6, John kind of gives a result of his first statement. He says, since God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, and John is very subtle and tactful the way he says this, we're liars. And we're not practicing the truth. Now, this makes perfect sense. If God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, if I say that I'm having fellowship with God and yet I'm walking in darkness, something's not adding up. Something's wrong. Now, I want to talk about two things. Number one, I want to talk about fellowship with God and what that means. And number two, I want to talk about what it means to walk in darkness. Fellowship with God. Common Christian concept of fellowship is donuts after church. That's my ultimate definition of, of fellowship in the American church. You know, hey, we have donuts, we have coffee, we talk to each other, and we go home and say, wasn't well, that a great time of fellowship? That's not fellowship at all. That's not even close to the biblical concept of fellowship. The biblical concept of fellowship, the Greek word is koinonia, It's actually more partnership, okay? Fellowship means you're in a partnership with somebody or with a group of people. Now, my favorite way of describing it is it's people who are on the same page. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say uh, I was a professional basketball player. Who's the guy who was 5'6", Muggsy Bogues? What's his name? 
the little guy, you know. I loved him. And so I'm on the basketball team, but I have one concern and one concern only. I want everybody to pay attention to me. I want, I, when, when the next day's news is written, I want them to write about Steve Larson. I don't care whether our team wins or loses. I just want to make sure my name gets in the news. What kind of a team player am I going to be? I'm going to be the kind of player that nobody wants to be on the same court with. Why? Because I'll be dribbling around, and I don't know what you thought of Kobe Bryant, but I think that's kind of his mode in basketball playing. He he didn't really exist to make other people better. He loved the attention and the pressure and everything on him so that he was the one who always took the last shots. So he had nine guys guarding him, and the rest of the team was standing open, but he takes the shot anyway. That's the way he did it. And you compare him with a guy like Magic Johnson, whose whole, and some of you don't know basketball, and you're going, what are you talking, who are these guys, you know? Well, Magic Johnson was a guy from the Showtime Lakers, and he loved to pass the ball, and he loved to set people up, and he loved to make people look good. And it was so fun to watch. Being on the same page means that my goals don't count, God's goals count. Life is not about me and how the circumstances are affecting me. Life is how the circumstances around me are affecting the kingdom of God. Walk, being in fellowship with God means that God and I are on the same page. And since God is God and I'm not, that means I'm on the same page with God. It's not that God is on the same page with me. I'm on the same page with God. So, Having fellowship with God is not being a Christian. I need to say that again. Having fellowship with God is not being a Christian. And let me give you one scripture that proves that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Revelation 3.20. You all know that even though evangelists always use that as a salvation invitation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and we will, have, we will share fellowship together. That's Jesus speaking. The only problem is he's not speaking to non-Christians. He's speaking to believers. Revelation 3, 14 through 19 is the lukewarm church. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus was in their lives, but he wasn't in their lives. Now, can you picture the difference there? One, I let Jesus in my life, but I just don't want him to bug me. Okay? I love your forgiveness. I love, you know, I'll even go to church once a week. Heck, you know, I'll, I'll do that stuff. But when it comes to my work, Jesus, don't bug me. When it comes to my family, don't bug me. When I'm getting angry and I'm playing basketball and I'm angry at other people and I'm yelling at them, Jesus, don't bug me. So he's in their life in a, in a way, but they're not letting him in. And so in Revelation 3.20, Jesus writes to Christians who are still living in their own power. He says, hey, I'm standing at the door of of your life and knocking. I want to come in. I want to come into the very center of your life to where I and you together are working on every area of your life. That's what it means to have fellowship with God. And by the way, having fellowship with God is pretty amazing. Now, the second thing that having fellowship with God means is sharing his life. I'm going to give you several scriptures that I'd like you to write down. You guys know these. John 15, 1 through 11, abiding in Christ, right? I am the vine, you are the branches. His life flows in and through us. Being filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. Letting the word of Christ dwell richly within you. The idea is this. Living the Christian life is not me living for God. But it's Jesus living through me. Okay? So having fellowship with God is sharing his life. Now, now you begin to understand why this is so critical. Jesus says, if we say we have fellowship with God... If I say that God and I are on the same page, if I say that I'm sharing in the life of Christ, 
but we walk in darkness. Now we need to figure out what it means to walk in darkness. If there is somebody in your life, you haven't forgiven them. And by God's definition, then, you're hating them. And actually, this is so important to God. God says, if you won't forgive them, I'm not going to forgive you. So this is huge. You're walking in darkness. And you are cutting yourself off from the joy and the peace and the power of God. John says, if we hate our brother, we're we're in darkness. And so if there's someone that you have just desired evil for them, if there's somebody who has sinned against you and you haven't forgiven them, by John's definition, you're walking in darkness. And by John's definition, you are not having fellowship with God right now. You might be going, wait, I'm in church. What what do I need to be? No, being in a church is not having fellowship with God. If there's secret sin in your life, and and I don't mean, we all have sins of weakness. We all trip up and mess up, right? That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is intentional sin that God has convicted you of, and you've said, you know what? I'm going to hold on to that secret sin anyway. You're walking in darkness. And you may be wondering why your life is so empty and hollow. And you say, hey, I'm supposed to be a Christian, but I'm not feeling much joy. It's because you're walking in darkness. If you are seeking the wisdom of this world, and by the way, do you know how dark the world is? They deny that you and I have a soul. You realize that, right? All of the models of psychology and medicine today have pretty universally denied the existence of a soul. Everything that's going on in you is chemical, electrical, hormonal, or physical. So do you think the world is going to come to a conclusion that sin could mess your life up? Not a chance. Now, you just need a Xanax. See, the Bible says walking in wickedness causes sudden terror. We call those panic attacks. Well, since modern medicine denies good and evil and says, hey, there's nothing there. We just need to give you, we just need to figure out the chemicals. I had a very dear friend who for two years was seeking the wisdom of the world and and he went through cocktail after cocktail of prescription drugs to try to get his emotions balanced out. And he just kept sinking deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And he finally came in touch with a Christian who actually believed God's word. And he, and he said, you know, um, the medicines are not only not helping you, they're actually, they've actually become the cause of your problems now. And it took him six months to detox. And after that, he began to get better. You guys, we cannot trust the wisdom of the world that denies that we are created in the image of God. Do you, do you realize that? And, and people who seek the wisdom of this world and this, well... You know, I don't know what to do. I need to, I need to go to a financial counselor who will take all of my bills and bundle them into one smaller bill so that my payments go down and then everything will be great. And you know how that works, right? That's how people lose their homes. Um, whatever it is, whether it's finance or, or all of this stuff, walking in the wisdom of this world is by definition walking in darkness. Live in living by trusting in your slough, okay? Actually, that's a psychological term for yourself. I would never have a misspelling there. But anyway, here's what I want you to understand. 
we tend to want to make walking in darkness as somebody who is Adolf Hitler, you know, is killing millions of, you know, and, and that way, oh, I would never be walking in darkness. What I want you to, to help you understand is I think 70% of the Christians in the Caneo Valley are walking in darkness, and they don't even know it. And their lives are more reflective of a person in the world than they are of the work of Christ in their life. I don't say this to make you feel guilty. I actually say this to give you hope. Because if you come to the conclusion that you're walking in darkness, there's something you can do about that. But if you think that you're doing okay and you're still miserable, you don't know what to change. And so here's what John says. If you say you have fellowship with God, if you say that everything's okay between you and God, but you're walking in darkness, you're a liar. And you're not living out the truth. Say, wow, what do I do? Verse 7. This is so cool. He says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, this is a little surprising. He says, we have fellowship, not with God. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what on earth does it mean to walk in the light? So let's start off with the basics. We are surrounded by darkness, right? Would you all agree with that? So we can either curse the darkness. Oh, that dirty darkness. Those people are so wicked. Ah, you know, and so we walk around just yelling at the darkness, which doesn't do any good. Or you turn on a light. Now, let me tell you how we do this. Right now, we live in a society that denies the one true God. We, de- we live in a society that believes living for yourself, trusting yourself, and taking care of yourself is the highest ideal. We live in a society that believes that if you want to accomplish anything, the most important thing you have to do is you have to believe in yourself. Walking in the light is intentionally and specifically rebuking the lies of darkness that have come into your life and exposing every thought to the light of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul calls it bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If you want to walk in the light tomorrow, start off tomorrow, look at your schedule. What do you got going on? Who are you meeting with? And then just give God a chance to shine his light on each meeting, on each project, on each thing you have to get done tomorrow, and you'll be amazed at how much clarity comes in when you start thinking, hey, God, what does your light have to say about this person tomorrow? By the way, I hate this person. I can't stand him. can't stand to be in the same room. But what does your light say about that? Well, I think, you know, I when you, when you start putting things in that kind of clarity, it becomes obvious. God says, I want you to be kind to that person. I want you to pray for that person. I want you to love that person. Oh, but God, I hate that person. I know you do. But you want to walk in the light? You want to have fellowship with me? Yeah, I really want that more than I hate that person. So now you start. And you see, you never, by the way, when you're getting ready to walk in the light, you never wait until you feel like it. You guys all figured that one out yet? When, you're, when you need to forgive someone, never wait until you feel like it. Okay? I love that. Hey, God wants you to forgive the person. I know. I'm just not ready to forgive. I'm just not ready. When has God ever given us a command and he said, when you're ready, this is how I'd like you to obey me. I, I, I just never heard that terminology in Scripture. What I hear God saying is, if you want my forgiveness, grace, and mercy poured out in your life, forgive other people in the same way that I've forgiven you. It's not an option. It's not an open question. It's not when you get ready. It's do it now. But I'm so angry. I'm so hurt. I'm so devastated by what this person did. As Christ has forgiven you, 
so also should you. Now, what you'll discover is the freedom of forgiveness is amazing. In fact, there are even some non-Christian psychiatrists who are saying, we need to forgive other people for ourselves. Now, again, they can take light and turn it into darkness, just like that. You're not forgiving other people for yourself. You're forgiving other people because God has commanded you to do that. So you're doing it for the glory of God. So what is the walk of light? And I just, I'd like you to write these things down because it's so cool. The walk of, of in the light is a walk in the presence of God. And as you go through tomorrow, if you're walking in the light, you will be continually aware of the presence of God in your life. And that is so cool. It is so awesome to have God's presence walking with me. It's also a walk of peace. If you're walking in the light, one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to become a peacemaker. Are some of you troublemakers? I'm a troublemaker. Anybody else a troublemaker? Okay, good. I, I'm, glad, I, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I, I, I love stirring things up. It's, it's terrible. It's awful. Yeah, my wife. But, but you know what? When I'm walking in the light, something changes in me, and I become a peacemaker. Rather than making things worse, I tamp things down and bring peace to situations. So Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. It's also a walk of protection. If, uh, and that's not Proverbs 2, 11 through 5. That's Proverbs 2, 11 through 15, I think. Um, and what it is, it talks about the protection that God's wisdom brings to your life and especially to the lives of your children if you're teaching them to walk in the light. And the final thing, a walk, walking in the light is a walk of influence. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the earth. No man takes a, a light and hides it. So walking in the light is a, a, a walk that has influence on other people. So... Let's go on. What are the blessings of walking in the light? Well, here's the interesting thing. In verse 7, John's focus is not on fellowship with God. He kind of assumes that. But he says that we'll have fellowship with each other. But let's talk about fellowship with God. What you'll be doing when you're walking in the light is you and God will be hanging together throughout your day. And one of the neat things about walking in the light, I, I, do, you, do you know what this idea of just having this running conversation with God is like? Have some of you experienced that? It is, it is awesome. You're just bringing everything. You're not, even, you're not closing your eyes and folding your hands or anything. You're just talking with them throughout the day. And so what you begin to experience is this joy of fellowship with God. And this is something that um, the psalm says. David says in Psalm 63, Because your love and kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. By the way, marrow refers to the fact the people in that day thought the best tasting meat was next to the bone. And even the stuff in the bone, you know, they loved that stuff. So what he's saying is, man, it is awesome. It's satisfying to be in your presence. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. Now, the second thing that happens is that we have fellowship with each other. I don't know where you're at. But most Christians I know hide from each other. They, you know, it, it, it's so funny. When, when you go through, uh, when you're going through a hard time, you know how you tend to not want to come to church? You want to you kind of close in ranks and be alone. And why is that? Because what happens when you live a life with no secrets, 
When you go through something great, people rejoice with you. And when you go through something bad, people weep with you. And you're in this amazing thing called community. You guys, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but it's the most wonderful thing in the world. I've experienced it. My kids get it even greater. They have lifelong friends. And they have friends who know them inside and out, upside and down. When they're doing, messing up, their friends can confront them and they can say, you know what, you're messing up, you're right, you know. And all of that stuff just ends the sense of loneliness. I don't know if you know this, but Americans are the loneliest people on the face of the earth. It seems like everybody else understands community but Western people. Down in Mexico, they understand community. In Nepal, they understand community. In China, they really understand community. You know, all, all over the place, people have learned how to live in community. In fact, so much so that their sense of individuality is not near as defined as ours is. And what I've discovered is that living in genuine community is one of the most satisfying things on the face of the earth. When you're living with people who love you and know you and accept you, wow, it's amazing. Now, the third thing that happens from walking in the light, this is kind of interesting. He says, when we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Here's the crazy thing. Walking in the light is not walking in sinless perfection. In fact, when you walk in the light, you're sinning all the time. You say, that doesn't make any sense. Well, it makes perfect sense. Because when you're walking in the light and you mess up, the difference is you're aware that you've messed up. And you bring it to the Father and he cleanses you from sin. And so you're having this wonderful experience of experiencing his mercy, that's his forgiveness, and his grace, that's his restoration. You know, if you ever eat with me, you know that I hate to tell you this, I'm a bit of a slob. Uh, And when I go to fancy restaurants with the dim lights, you know, I eat my dinner, and I go out into the light, and I look at my shirt, and I got stuff all over it. Well, the problem was, when I was in the darkness, I couldn't see it. So I wasn't embarrassed, and I didn't think anything about it. When I got in the light, I went, oh my gosh, I got to change this shirt. The light exposes what's wrong. And you say, oh, that's a terrible thing. No, it's a wonderful thing because now I know, oops, I need to change my shirt. When I mess up and I'm walking in the light, the Holy Spirit immediately convicts me of of sin. By the way, huge difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation is stay away, you've blown it. Conviction is God saying, come on home. You've blown it, but I want to forgive you. Let's come back. God never condemns his children. He convicts us, but he never condemns us. So what you're going to see happening in your life is you're going to have this clarity about your, the sin in your life. Now, where this becomes wonderful in marriage is if your marriage isn't going well and you're walking in the light, guess who you're going to look at first? You. And you know, that's the easiest thing to fix. Learned a long time ago, I can't learn, I can't fix Connie. She learned even longer ago, she can't fix me. I'm unfixable. You know this, you can't change anybody, right? And so walking in the light gives you the focus of, oh Lord, help me to love Connie as you love the church. And then he points out where I'm not loving her as, as Christ loves the church And I know what to change. And the more I change from his conviction, the better our marriage gets. And this, we've been married 41 years, and this is still happening, you guys. We're still learning how to be light to each other. And it's a great walk. It's a walk of blessing, and it's a walk of growth. So we've thrown a lot of scriptures at you. We've talked about a lot of things. What what do you walk away with tonight? Number one, I would just love 
for you to take some time alone, even tonight, and ask God, are there areas in your life where you're walking in darkness? Could be maybe in your finances. Maybe, maybe you just haven't been able to release that greed, which Paul says amounts to idolatry. Uh, it could be in your purity. The, the stats are staggering about the number of men and now women who are addicted to pornography. It could be an illicit relationship, an impure or immoral relationship. What do you do when you discover you're in darkness? Bring it to the light. Bring it to God, first of all, and then bring it to those you love. If there's something in your life that has a hold on you, I've found that keeping it in secret gives it power. Do you understand that? It's the secret that gives something power. And if you get it out, and it's humiliating, it's embarrassing, it's difficult, it's hard, but you do what James says for us to do, which is to confess our sins one to another. Pray for one another so that we can be healed. That healing is not just physical, that's spiritual healing. So discover the darkness and bring it to the light. One final principle I want to leave you with, and then we'll close. And if you have any questions, we can take some questions. But um, some people try to manage their sin. Well, I'm only messing up twice a month. You know, I've got my sin under control. If there's one thing you learn all through Scripture, sin never stays under control. And so, even if there's something in your life that you're not doing very often and you feel good about the fact that you're not doing it very often, repent from it. Don't manage sin, repent from sin. Turn from it and get some people who are going to love you and surround you and help you to develop the consistency. Now, we're not going to be perfect in this stuff. See, that's the blood of Jesus is cleansing us from all sin. And so when you blow it, you confess it again, experience God's forgiveness, experience forgiveness of those around you if you need it, and then you start moving forward again. But walking in the light, you guys, if, if you go through and actually read the scriptures that I've shared with you, you will get so excited about walking in the light, you won't know what to do with yourself because it is a great experience. I'm 66 now. I'm just a kid compared to Marty, but, uh, but uh, 66, I started walking with Christ when I was 14. And I feel like I'm growing more now than I ever have in my life before this. So you don't get to a place in life where you hit cruise control. That's the worst thing you can do. You keep pushing forward to draw closer and closer to the light. And the closer you get to the light, the more clearly you see your sin. When you turn from that sin, the joy you experience is unquenchable. So let's pray. Father, I just ask you in Jesus' name that you might uh, get us excited about walking in the light. And uh, Lord, help us to be willing to do whatever it takes to root the darkness out of our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.